Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Thunderstruck, our look back at the uh, greatest and most memorable am- uh, matches of one Jushin Thunder Liger as we count down to his retirement on January 5th and 6th at the Tokyo Dome and at uh, Oda City uh, Gymnasium. Uh, but we're not, we're not talking about 2020 today. We're going to be talking about uh, 1996. And joining me today is a good friend of mine, uh, our post-wrestling soon-to-be ex-ROH uh, correspondent, Mike Murray. Ouch. How's it going? Good. I was going to ask me, why, why am I being going to be the ex-ROH uh, correspondent? Yeah, what's up with that? Well, I mean, is ROH going to exist in 2020? Uh, I think in 2020, yes. 2021? Mm-hmm. Up in the air. Unless they, uh, you know, what do they say? Write the, write the course of the ship? You know, like the way it's going, I gotta, that's gotta, a positive. I got to find a new gig then. I got to like talk to John and Wade and see what, uh, what, what they got for me then. I, I think you should become the MLW correspondent, to be honest. That would be, uh, that wouldn't be too bad. I think you probably like it. You know, that's a fun show. You know. They do pay per views. They do pay per views. Yep. So, you uh, how much interest do you think there is in MLW out there? How much interest is there in fucking ROH these days? I I think that it's a bigger name, and there is probably more people, that, more eyeballs on that product. Um, but uh, the hardcore audience, I would say, is more positive toward MLW than they are ROH. I think I just saw recently for Final Battle as of this recording, which is early oh, no. you know, early December. It's like it's like what five? Yeah, we're a week out Final Battle. Five hundred seats for for Final Battle. That's sad. Yeah, that is. So I I don't know. We'll see. I think they'll exist to some degree up to maybe like the summer, and then we'll see. Then it's just going to be like, listen, you're never going to correct this ship with the management you have right now. They're going to have to change the management. Change the booker, be able to try to sign some people away from other companies, and, and just get their like their their TV and pay per view schedule right. Because like, isn't there times where like the way they broadcast like some markets get the sh- the, the the go home show after the pay per view, things like that. And not only that, I mean the TV shows really I find don't push you towards ordering the pay per view and really kind of drive interest, like like most products usually do. So it, it's it's a big mess. So like Impact is doing a much better job. Like I'd say become the Impact correspondent, but that's that's Nate Milton's job. So you know, I'm not taking Nate's job. You're not taking. Nate's but job, no. this is a good segue into who I chose as uh, Jushin Thunder Liger's uh, opponent for my chosen match, and he was on the first Ring of Honor card. Yes, who are we talking about, Mike? We're going to be talking about Jushin Thunder Liger versus Black Tiger uh, three. No, two. He's the second Correct. one. No, he's the second one. Sorry. Black Tiger 2, who we all know and love as Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero, yes. Uh, this is from the uh, Best of the Super Junior. This is the finals of that particular tournament from June 12th, uh, 1996, from the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium, a venue I've been to many a time. It's a great venue to watch wrestling. Uh, before we get into the match itself, Mike, let's talk a bit about Jushin Liger. And what does he mean to you as a professional wrestling fan? Uh, I was immediately drawn to him when I saw him on WCW uh, in the 90s because of his costume and his mask. And it was just, uh, you know, as someone who 
was aware of like Ultraman and, you know, even that sort of early Power Rangers kind of look to wear a costume like that and to have his wrestling style was seemed kind of crazy to me as a, uh, you know, someone in my twenties, like watching this. Um, but as we've seen Liger like through the years and, and show up in different places and amazing places, even in Toronto, uh, over the last 20 years. Right. Uh, Liger's is amazing. You know, like e- even these days to see him at like, Ted Reeve or something and like having a match against Cody. I remember a few years ago, you know, just loving the crowd and, and loving kind of where he is, and what he's doing. What, when, for, my big question now is though, now you have kids, you have two lovely daughters who are big wrestling fans themselves. What does Jushin Liger mean to them? <laughs> That's a bit of a lead in. So my youngest daughter, Nora is a, uh, huge, uh, Liger fan. Um, she something about him speaks to her and i think it's the mask i think it's the costume and that sort of sense of mystery that you can't see who he is underneath all that at all and she's been just automatically drawn to him and you you can attest to this as seeing pictures of her when she was you know three wearing a a jushin thunder liger mask around the house right yeah it's lovely um, in fact, when we went to the G1, uh, first night in Dallas, her other favorite Naito was facing Jushin Thunder Liger, uh, in a tag match. And she was very upset that Naito was not very nice to Liger and gave him the boots. And she kind of turned her back on LIJ for, uh, most of the summer. She was upset. Wow. Wow. And how about, how about the, yeah. uh, the older one, the queen of the C-block? Uh, Viv, the queen of the Z-Block, is, uh, is a Liger fan as well. And uh, being a little bit older, we kind of talked a little bit more about character and history and things like that, that she can kind of um, understand the scope of things. And she's actually been talking to me about, you know, as we led up to this episode of, you know, who I chose and why. And we, we talked about some things. We talked about the structure of the match that uh, we're going to be talking about later on. And, uh, yeah, I guess this is a Liger household. It's a Liger household, I, and, and, and I guess your wife, Marina, fan of Juice Like Liger as well. <laughs> she is a fan of Eddie Guerrero, that's for sure. Definitely. I remember like going to O'Grady's with the two of you, and, and uh, you're, you're both enraptured with Eddie Guerrero. Let's talk a bit about Eddie Guerrero, and, and like I know he is one of your favorite wrestlers of all time. He's one of mine as well, but I think your passion for him far exceeds mine. I remember you know the, the Monday Night Raw, we were at O'Grady's the day after he died. Uh, and like, it was a very emotional night. And like, I remember you being very emotional, uh, watching that tribute to him. Yeah. They, I think, you know, when we look back at some of the stuff that our wrestling fandom has been, and, uh, that was a, that was a heavy night. Right. Um, and being in there and kind of sharing it with, you know, some of us who have been friends for years and, you know, saw that guy who, you know, was at O'Grady's even himself there. Right. I mean, his autograph was on the wall you know, get a chance to, to get out of WCW and, and get into WWF and screw up and, and clean up and get another chance and, and, you know, maybe screw up again and, and clean up and then, you know, eventually win the big one, win the big belt right? against Lesnar. Yeah, it's, it's his journey is amazing. If you look at it, he started as a, you know, in, in Mexico 
as a luchador, and then he moved to Japan for working for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And he was a junior heavyweight. Then he went to WCW. He was a cruiserweight. Made, made eventually kind of made it up to the heavyweights a bit. Um, and then yeah, with the US title, right? With the US title, and then uh, with the LWO as well. His feud with you know a bunch of other people, but. It's not until he gets to the WWF with Benoit and Malenko and Perry Saturn that it's like, okay, they see something in him. They wanted that Latino hero, you know, that Latino star to draw in that growing and, and you know, and, and continuing to grow in 2019, like, Latino audience. And, and they're still trying to replicate the success of Eddie Guerrero, I think, with, like, their, you know, their current Latino stars with, you know, mixed results. But, you know, I think Eddie was a, a transcendent like wrestler like you know i i i've when i first saw eddie Guerrero, i was like whoa who's this guy it was in wcw and then later on as i got into you know japanese wrestling i discovered hey, this guy black tiger he kind of wrestles familiar he looks kind of <laughs> like who and then i discovered it's eddie Guerrero, and i'm like holy shit and then i fell in love with like his work as black tiger for me black tiger is like his like the pinnacle of his in-ring work for for my fandom of Eddie Guerrero, like he's done obviously so much great stuff in both WCW and the WBF. But for me, it was like that, that was it. That, that Eddie Guerrero, Black Tiger Eddie Guerrero is like really amazing stuff. And then the time where he got fired from the WF and then he went to New Japan as himself, not as Black Tiger, but as himself, that was really a very fun, but short stint there as well. You can see this amazing match he has with, I'm going to say it was uh Silver King, Black Tiger three. The person who succeeded him as Black Tiger was Silver right. King. He, him, and Eddie team up against uh, Wataru Inoue and a young young lion Katsuyori Shibata, which is a very very fun like tag team match that you can see on YouTube. It's uh, it's easily uh, available for all the for all the listeners who want to watch that match. Just type those names in, you'll find it. But for me, like to see Eddie Guerrero like as Black Tiger interact with Jushin Thunder Liger was amazing. To interact with people like Chris Jericho, Koji Kanemoto, Shinjiro Tani, uh, Chris Benoit's Wild Pegasus, Dean Malenko, even and and they formed this team. This unit, like, I don't know if you're aware of this, Mike, like Black Tiger, Jushin Liger, El Samurai, and, and Wild Pegasus were the junior horsemen of the New Japan Junior exactly. Heavyweight Division. How long did that go for? Uh, not very long. <laughs> but for, uh, for a short first, time. That, that first, what would you say, like three years of the best of the Super Juniors when you had like Malenko and you had Benoit and Black Tiger and, you know, the, El Samurai, right? I mean, that was that was some pretty hot matches. From like, I'd say, you know, from ninety two up until like ninety ninety nine, even there's a nice seven year run where like junior heavyweight wrestling in New Japan pro wrestling was like some of the best in ring stuff, regardless of what weight division you're looking at. Up there with like the stuff in all Japan's heavyweight division at the same time. Uh, it's it's the, the the amount of talent that ran through that particular division was just incredible and a lot of it has to do with Jushin Liger as a booker because he he was a booker for most of that time period and he just had this amazing eye for talent like he of course he had available to him people from WCW because of the relationship he had people from CMML at the time available to him because of the the relationship between New Japan and, and that company but it's just amazing that he was able to coalesce all this like these you know different parts from different parts of the world and make this really incredible like you know promotion kind of within a promotion in the junior heavyweight division yeah. so it's, it's quite amazing um i want to talk a little bit about eddie Guerrero. so he he started competing in new japan pro wrestling in 1992 and as himself and by 1993 they felt the company felt that he was good enough and they had a lot of confidence in him to 
give him uh, the Black Tiger costume to kind of be a rival of sorts to not Tiger Mask, because there wasn't really a Tiger Mask in the company at the time. The second Tiger Mask was Mitsuharu Masao, who was wrestling in All Japan Pro Wrestling, of, of course. But they felt like maybe this guy could be a rival to maybe Jushin Liger. He could kind of be that kind of heelish guy. The, he would succeed the first Black Tiger, who was Mark Rollerball Rocco, an amazing wrestler from England at the time. And then he would be succeeded by another luchador. Black Tiger 3 was, a, as I said, a Silver King from WCW and CMML. Um, and then, you know, Black Tiger kind of give it kind of goes down. The, the, the last one was, was, of course, Rocky Romero. He was a decent Black Tiger, not Eddie Guerrero level. And I love Rocky Romero. But, um, yeah, that's kind of like the history, kind of the very, very brief history of Eddie Guerrero in New Japan as himself for a short while. And then uh, for the rest of his, most of his career uh, in New Japan as Black Tiger 2. I mean, you've covered it all, right? Um, I kind of came across this match initially years ago from a high spots, um, best of Eddie Guerrero in Japan. And that's where, you know, you've got actually on that two disc set, not that I'm like pumping high spots or anything, but uh, you get two matches against Liger, singles matches, uh, some stuff against uh, Benoit. But it was, you know, when you, when you, you're talking like 20 years ago, and when you find a guy that you like, it, it was like kind of like tape trading, right? But High Spots had that um, catalog of uh, you know matches and, and sets that they would put together, and it's you know it's kind of amazing when you see some of that stuff you know in my job pop up when someone brings them in. You're like, oh, look at this, right? Stan Hansen, best of. Hold on. <laughs> had a couple uh, a few months ago, somebody brought in like. Uh, must have been like about 20 high spots DVD sets from uh, that they were selling off. Good times. Good times. Yeah, I mean, like all that stuff is available on VOD. Obviously, now these nowadays are just people just if they have the DVDs, yeah. just rip them. VOD, you kids these days, I tell you. Back in my day, <laughs> we had to we had to work for this stuff. What are you talking about? I'm older than you. <laughs> I remember going to ROH shows with you, and we just like peruse the uh, the merch table, not for t-shirts, for, DVD, for DVDs. Ooh, look at that! Best of Matt Seidel, like in ROH. So maybe <laughs> like trade that. Maybe like oh, there's a Best of Generation Next. Oh, it's only like one disc. It's got like seven matches on it. Okay, and that's not. I just and that's more of an indication of like you know the 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 shelf life of that group, not necessarily about the quality of the guys in the unit because they're all fucking great. But let, let's get into the match, Mike. Let's talk about the finals of the Best of the Super Junior Tournament uh, Part 3. Uh, this would be, I would feel, like maybe the pinnacle for, for Eddie Guerrero as Black Tiger in New Japan. Uh, he would meet uh, Jushin Thunder Liger in the finals of this match. Uh, we, we start the video, and, and Black Tiger comes out first. He's got a sweet cape as part of his entrance gear. Uh, out next is, is Liger. Also has got a sweet cape. Both these men sporting some sweet capes, Mike. Yeah, it's, it really kind of gives that uh, superhero effect when you're looking at these two with the costumes and the masks and the capes. Of course, the capes. Capes are a big thing. I, I think capes work really well if you're a masked character. Not so much if you're not a masked character, in my opinion. This is true. This is true. And our ref is Tiger Hattori, is it not, in this match? A much younger Tiger Hattori? I believe it is. I'm 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 blending all the matches I've been watching in. It might have been I know there's one match I watched like this past week for preparation of these shows. Like I think one of them was maybe a young Marty Asami. Even though he looks like sure now. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let alone 20 years ago, right? So it could be, could be. I think it's Tiger Hattori. It would, it probably would have been 1992. He's the liaison for a lot of the foreigners. He refs a lot of the, like the, you know, the, the foreign matches. Um, so it, it probably is, uh, our, our good buddy, the ponytailed legend himself, Tiger Hattori. Uh, like, uh, so Liger wants to, wants a handshake to start, but Eddie, Eddie Guerrero basically, Black Tiger here basically tells us to fuck off. Not with words. That's right. He does a gesture. What would you call like, this he's gesture? Got a gesture. It's not the it's not flipping the bird. It's not the middle finger. It's like where you you, where you jam like one of your hands into your left elbow, right? You kind of slap your forearm. Yeah. yeah, I I I don't know where that comes from. I just know that that's the other universal symbol of fuck you. So the previous uh, singles match where it was for the junior heavyweight title, they actually do shake hands, and that was back in February of the same year. So. Uh, Eddie lost that match. I'm sorry, Black Tiger lost that match to Liger. And it seems like throughout this match, there's a sense of respect between the two of them. But Guerrero's kind of pissed that he didn't win the title from before. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about kind of the divide maybe that exists between Eddie and Liger throughout this match. And you can kind of, it's kind of symbolized by some of the people that are in each guy's corners. And we'll get to that a little later on in, in the match review. I made that I made notes about it. So both men uh, start start the match. They engage in some mat wrestling. Uh, they're trading the advantage between them. Uh, you can see, and here we go, Benoit and Malenko are in Black Tiger's corner, uh, and Samurai is in Liger's corner. So Benoit and Malenko are, of course, like, Really good friends with, like, in real life with Eddie Guerrero, going up and down the roads with them in WCW and in the WWF, and also riding the bus together, I'm sure, eating a lot of ramen and, and yakiniku uh, after the shows, you know, together, I'm sure, as well. Uh, and, of course, El Samurai, very, you know, good friend, longtime uh, ally of uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, from here, Black Tiger catches Liger in a camel clutch, one of his father's uh, signature moves, Mike. Yes, I, th- I noticed that, too. Uh, Black Tiger and Liger engage in a knuckle lockup, which uh, Black Tiger turns into this beautiful pop-up Huracrana that uh, sends Liger to the outside, just showing like his you know luchador background. Yeah, and he kind of dares Eddie to come out, right? He does, uh, and Liger uh, gets back in the ring because Eddie's not going to fall for that because he knows Liger's not, you know, like weakened enough for he can do some aerial assaults from the uh, from the mat into the uh, into the outside. Uh, Liger gets back in the ring where Black Tiger hits him with a basement drop kick to his left knee, uh, his left knee, sorry, and then Black Tiger proceeds to work it over with a figure four leg lock. So just uh, like early on, like you can see Eddie like deciding to like, okay, I'm going to try to weaken this guy's legs so he can't do any of his high flying stuff. Yeah, and that's the story throughout the match, actually, how he works over uh, Liger's ankles and his knee. Yeah, so Liger is able to reverse it. Sorry? Nope. Oh, okay. Liger is able to reverse it and gets to the ropes for a break. Uh, Liger proceeds to go after uh, Black Tiger's own left knee by driving it into the mat. And then from there, he goes for his signature move, the Romero Special, which he then transitions to the uh, Dragon Sleeper variation, which he then moves... To uh, using the camel clutch himself on Black Tiger, yep. and uh, yeah, like uh, the Romero special, Mike. I got to think this is one of your favorite maneuvers from Jason Thunder Liger. I mean, the guy still does it these days, right? In this match in particular, the way he kind of bounces him up and down is is really impressive. But to see this man still do this move, you know, on a you know a rinky dink uh, ROH show <clears throat> for like a thousand people, you know, at fifty five years old is amazing. What, what did you feel with the first time you saw some of his signature per- moves in person? 
Uh, it was great. You know, um, probably when we were at one of those UWA shows was the first time we got to see him like that up close and personal. I think so. Yeah. Even for me, I think that was like my first time seeing him in person. Cause I, no way. I, I, I can't remember. I think I saw him in Japan when I lived in Japan in, in 2000. So, okay. but nothing, nothing like a single singles match or anything like that. So it wasn't like, that no, we, we, I guess we could talk about this afterwards if you want, but, uh, Let's let's get back to the match, and we'll talk about some of the UWA stuff afterwards. Okay, sure. So we get the uh, we get a tilt a whirl backbreaker, another signature move from uh, Jason Liger. He transitions into a seated abdominal stretch, and then he moves that into a pitting cradle, and then he turns that into a into a cradle with a wrist lock on on Black Tiger. This some beautiful transitions. Like you kind of hinted at this earlier in the in the show that you know he's got this wild costume on, so you just assume. He's just like this high flyer daredevil kind of guy like Hayabusa or or the original Tiger Mask. But he's not. He's actually very, very like solid. And actually, he's excellent as a, as a technical wrestler, Mike. Yeah, as a, as a grappler, as a, a guy that you wouldn't expect submissions from. He's got a lot that he can transition in and out of and, you know, roll guys up and pretzel them. Uh, from here, plus we... Have- Go on. Oh, sorry. sorry. From, from where we see a picture-in-picture picture insert of one Keiji Mudo doing commentary for this match. And uh, he's just like, with my poor Japanese, it's just basically what he's doing is just like putting over how great these guys are. Especially like he's he's got a lot of respect for Eddie Guerrero as, for, as Black Tiger here. So it's nice to kind of be able to pick that out from what he was saying throughout the, the most of this match. Uh, Black Tiger is able to escape and, and get in control. He fires back at Liger with a great-looking flying back elbow, and then he gives up this big power bomb <laughs> and a, you... a, a trademark over-the-top slingshot, slingshot senton, which pops the crowd. This And this crowd, we, we should talk about this crowd. They're well into this match, and, and they just the investment they have emotionally just escalates throughout the course uh, building up to the finals, Mike. Agreed. And when some of the moves are kicked out of or, or just missed, the crowd goes insane. Yeah, and then from the uh, slingshot senton, he goes back to working that left knee by uh, slapping a leg lock onto it. Uh, Liger gets a rope break. He kicks Black Tiger in the face. Just a big, like, yes. fuck you for all the stuff you've been doing to me. He does a snapmare into a chin lock, into a head scissors. Again, just these amazing, smooth transitions from Liger, Mike. Yeah, and it is. there's so much stuff, you know, as we talked about it before, when you're trying to, like, make the notes of what's going on in this match, it's like, pause, okay, go. <laughs> there's just, like, you know, five things in the span of, like, you know, 20 seconds, and all of them make perfect sense. Exactly. Like, that's the good thing about Liger is that he is someone who doesn't just string moves together. They, like, they transition into one another. Like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. And and things might call back to things he might have done earlier in the match as well. So it's another great thing about exactly. him is, like, like you're saying, it just everything makes sense. So we got the head scissors. We got the head scissors. And then we move into a hammerlock. So he, he goes after the arm. And then I, I made a note here that there's actually surprisingly very little aerial moves in this match, Mike. It's, it's mainly been on the ground for the most part. Exactly. For like these two guys at this stage of their careers, 
it's amazing how much like grappling and ground-based stuff there is in this. Uh, from here, uh, Liger whips Black Tiger into the corner and follows up with a capo kick, another signature move from one Jushin Thunder Liger. Black Tiger tries for a for a move of some sort from the top rope, but while he's climbing, Liger catches him with a shote, which sends uh, Eddie flying into the barricade on the outside. Uh, Liger oh, goes, oh, to, huh? Sorry, oh, show is the floor. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> right off. Like some people might do a drop kick, some people might do uh, a clothesline. No, not Jushin Liger. Jason Liger, he does a shote, one of his, like, for him, like, his shote is, like, the same as being hit with a Kobashi lariat or chop or, or Kensuke Sasaki, yeah. like, uh, chopper lariat. It's it's that devastating. Uh, Liger goes to the t- top tumbrickle himself and hits Black Tiger with a flying body press. So, really, the bit, first big flying move we've seen in this match, Mike. Down to the floor, yeah. It was, uh, it was an impressive splash, almost. Uh, Liger, Liger recovers quickly and gets back the into thing. the ring. Uh, and while Black Tiger gets in at the nine count, and I made a, I made a, a, a point here, Mike, that like if this was 2019, uh, he would have come in at the, the 19 count. And he would have done the 19. This at the 19. <laughs> and it, this would have happened at least four times in this match. Or at least on the card. That's, if, a, little, that's a little harsh, but... <laughs> if it was Ghetto booking this match. But it's not. It's sure. Jason Liger probably booking this match. Uh, Liger hits a massive folding powerbomb that made me wonder if Eddie, Eddie stiffed him on some money in his uh, earlier in the day or something like that. Hey, Eddie, I, I, are you going to pay for uh, the sushi today? Fuck you, Liger. Oh, you motherfucker. So I think that's a receipt for him stiffing him on lunch or that something. Was, that, that, was a, that was a really big powerbomb. When he kicks out, the crowd goes pretty nuts. Uh, yeah, so, so then he hits a big brain buster. So he follows the power bomb with a big brain buster. Another two counts. So we're we're really now getting into like the the crescendo of the match. We're getting to the big near falls of this match. Uh, Black Tiger rolls through a second power bomb attempt. He sends Liger to the outside. He goes for a plancha, but Liger moves out of the way. He whips Liger into the barricade and then slams him. He goes to the top turnbuckle and hits his own flying body press. Holy shit, this looked amazing. Yeah, and it goes like into pretty much past the barricades, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a double axe handle that he goes flying off on. It's, it was uh, Shades of shades of Savage. I do think he hit him with his body, not with like a double axe handle, right? I don't know. There's there a couple times in this match where the camera work was, was a little questionable, but. Uh, well, a lot of it has to do. You know what? A lot of it has to do with all the, that, like, the photographers amazing. outside. There's a lot more photographers these days in 1992 yes. than there are in 2019. It's true. Uh, so Liger uh, catches Black Tiger on the top, but uh, knocks. But Black Tiger knocks Liger off. He then looks like he's going for a frog splash, but slips. And Liger catches him with a double knees to the bread package. So like he kind of slips off the top rope. And Liger, I don't know if this is intentional or just like quick thinking. He just... You know, Liger saves it by going for like the the double knees to the bread bread basket on on and on, on Eddie here. Yeah, uh, Liger with uh, a law mudstraw cradle for only a two count, a fisherman buster, a two count. So Liger's yep. basically hitting him with all these moves that he he has pinned other people with, but like Black Tiger just kicking out of all of them. So really, you can see the goal of this match is to really establish that Black Tiger is on a level with Jushin Thunder Liger at this point. Yeah, I mean, he. You're right. He does kick out of pretty much every signature 
Liger move. Yeah, uh, Black Tiger hits a roll through cradle only for a two. Liger hits a big show tape, but only another two count. Uh, and crowd is really getting into this match. They're very vocal. You can hear them like just like cheering and clapping and just just showing like their support for each guy. Yeah, both guys are kind of worn out. Liger gets up first, and then he he wrist locks or uh, waist locks Black Tiger, and he gives him. You gotta you gotta tell me this. This release German like right over his head and just drops Eddie from like, what, five feet? Oh, yeah. So he hits a release German suplex. Uh, and then, you know, he like sends him over his head, essentially. And I'm like, wow, like he he must have stiffed him on dinner the night before as well. Not just lunch that day. And then he hits him with a Liger bomb. Holy shit. He yes. gets a, and he gets a two count. And the crowd is going crazy now. They are absolutely loving this. Eat up every every false finish in this move mike yeah and the announcers are are like screaming liger bomb and they're going crazy the crowd's going crazy uh black tiger box uh blocks a liger tornado ddt by dropping him uh straight on his knees it looked really awkward <laughs> you know i i think uh it kind of was like Maybe Liger is trying to go for one of Eddie's signature moves, and Eddie was not having any of it. So he's like, I'm going to try to break your legs on this reversal I'm going to do onto you. Uh, he follows up with two knee lifts and then gives him his own brain buster. This was beautiful. Yeah, it was. And it's this starts to be the echo of some of the other stuff from the previous match. But he doesn't go for a cover here, Mike. He he wags his finger at Liger, maybe saying, don't use my moves against me, motherfucker. Yeah, he actually points to himself, right? Yes. He finger, finger waves like, no, 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 and then points to himself. That's my move. That Tornado DDT is my move. That's Chavo's move, motherfucker. Don't use our, don't use the the Guerrero family moves. Uh, Black Tiger hits uh, the Black Tiger bomb, which is basically like, like the, uh, I think that's the Splash Mountain bomb for only a big, for, for a two count here. Yeah, it's almost like a razor's edge, right? Turned into a power bomb. The a, razor's edge. So the way like Scott Hall would do it, he he follows down where whereas Eddie Guerrero when he does this move, like he throws the guy over his head and then catches him yeah. by the waist and 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 does a kind of a sitting power bomb like like a Liger bomb. So it's pretty impressive yeah. the coordination that you need to to successfully pull off that move and the strength for sure. Oh, right? oh, definitely. I think Eddie Guerrero's like sneaky, super strong for a wrestler of his size. Yes. Uh, Black Tiger then goes for an avalanche-style brain buster. So this is a brain buster from the top rope. But uh, Liger luckily shifts his weight and sends Black Tiger crashing down to the mat with his own body on top of him. And there's a two-count here. The crowd is electric. Liger hits Black Tiger's arm with a jumping knee from the top and immediately goes for an arm bar. So really smart uh, transition here. He's not – like, it'd be stupid if you hit him – you know, I've seen people like, okay, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to do a top rope knee strike to someone's arm. I'm going to go for a figure forward now. That doesn't <laughs> Anyways, Liger is not, you know, not someone who would be doing that, of course. Uh, uh, let's see. Where am I here? Uh, Liger hits, uh, yeah. Uh, Black Tiger gets a foot on the rope, so he's able to break, break the arm bar. Uh, Black Tiger reverses a Liger move, puts him on the top, and executes an avalanche fucking brain buster. Fuck. Yeah. Holy shit, this looked like it nearly killed Jushin Liger, Mike. And you get the... One, two, three. Yes, this is the finish of the match. Thank God it was the finish of the match. It was, if it was like like today on some indie show or like a UWA show, it would have been like, you know, like only the... 
you know, it would have been like halfway through the match. We would still have another 20 minutes left of the match, Mike. <laughs> it would be reverse super brain buster or something. Yeah, a brain buster, a super a superplex brain buster transitioned into like a hurricanrana spiking the guy onto their onto their head. Yeah, that's what we would have seen. In, in like you know, so how did how did you feel going back and looking at this match all these years later? Well, like this is this. I just want to say, uh, so Black Tiger wins the best of the Super Juniors uh, finals. He wins the championship. He wins the whole kit and caboodle at eighteen forty four. Great match. I I love this match. You know, I I don't think I've seen this match in God knows how many years, but it it's it's just like just this escalation. What I really loved about this match is how it moves from mat wrestling to you hit the the aerial moves to the outside and it doesn't go crazy with those moves really. And then, then to like kind of this, like, you know, the, the big bombs and the, and the false finishes that we see in the last, I'd say what, five, five, 10, like five, seven minutes of this match, where it's just like back in, and a lot, there's a lot of back and forth, which I like. It's not just like one guy dominating throughout the most of the match. There's a lot of like equal footing that exists. And I think it's deliberate. I think, Liger is like, okay, I gotta make, I'm gonna make this guy now. He's gonna be on my level. He didn't beat me for the title earlier in the year, but he's gonna beat me for this tournament. He's gonna win the whole fucking tournament. And like Eddie Guerrero really did like kind of establish himself as one of the premier like foreigners working in New Japan in the 90s. Yeah, and I mean, this is part of his legend, right? Of of going through Japan and making a name for himself and having these fantastic matches with people, you know, and you're right we have liger to thank for that by setting this stuff up and kind of running this division in new japan one thing that you know i i would say to people who who want to be wrestlers is like if you're gonna model yourself after anyone like in terms of like how they kind of progress throughout their careers is like you you know like start off in like the indies if you can get to go if you get a chance to go to Mexico, do that. If you get a chance to go to Japan, definitely go for that. Because all really the greatest wrestlers uh, in, in like an elite level of, you know, people who are workers, I think most of them, 90% of them did something in Japan, you know, like they, whether they were junior heavyweights, whether they're heavyweights, they were the tag team wrestlers, they got experience working in Japan. And in the 90s, you couldn't find a better place to hone your craft than in either new japan pro wrestling or all japan pro wrestling uh and and it shows you know like that that people with japanese experience like reach a certain level like uh, a lot quicker and and are able to maintain that kind of high level of work as opposed to people who who don't have a chance to work in japan getting back to the the match and the kind of meshing of styles and how you've got so much mat based and then it kind of works itself into a you know a little bit of lucha and a little bit of jumping and leaping and and that kind of quicker pace and then into that sort of classic uh strong style right with no trick no no skips you know these guys are fantastic masters of so many different styles right of uh professional wrestling Oh, I mean, like, you know, Liger has experience in Mexico. He has experience in, in uh, Calgary, in Stampede Wrestling, yep. working with the Hart, yep. Hart family, uh, of course, in Japan, and, and working an American style for a period of time with WCW, working with Brian Pillman and, and teaming with Brian Pillman. So he has all those things. And at this point in 1992, like, Eddie's obviously gets his 
I think he gets a start in like Texas Indies and he goes to Mexico for and becomes a star there. He he's been working Japan for a year at this point. Uh of course he's also like going to be start doing WCW. Uh, I don't know if this is concurrent with his WCW run, the beginning of that. No, it is. So, yeah, so, no, he's he's in a WCW at this point too. So he's doing WCW. He's working with like what, guys like Diamond Dallas Page and like his buddies Bolenko and Benoit. He's working with Ray. He's working with you know whoever else. Like I don't know if he's working with Jericho at this point either. Uh, but you know, there's like these both these guys are bringing their wealth of experience up to like this point in their in their respective careers and they're just like showing you like how it's done. This is how you construct a a near perfect wrestling match, in my opinion, at least. You're not, you're not wrong. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing how it stands up so well still like 20 something years later. Actually, that's kind of like the theme throughout a lot of this, you know, the Thunderstruck series is like, if you go back and watch these matches, they they stand up really well to like a lot of the top level matches that exist in the last, I don't know, two to three years. But also like in a lot of ways, they, they are better and some of these really highly lauded matches that, that you see that are just like high spots and just like just people like, you know, kicking out of moves left, right and center with no logic at all, in my opinion. And then you watch this match or a match like maybe he has like Liger has with Shinjiro Tani or Koji Kanemoto. And it, it just all makes sense. It's just like this makes sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. That's logic. It's not just kicking out of moves or doing high spots for the sake of high, doing high spots, Mike. And that's something you can never accuse either man of doing. It's just doing like big moves for the sake of doing big moves to be to like pop the crowd or pop their friends in the audience or something. No, no. I mean, everything that these guys do when you when you can sit there and watch a match with uh, with no sound or you you can you can't understand the commentaries, but you know exactly what's going on in the story that's being told. It's 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 an art, right? So you showed this match to your to uh, Vivian and Nora. No, I have not shown this match to Vivian and Nora, um, but Vivian and I did talk about it. We kind of talked about uh, the history of where this falls into you know, certain guys' careers, like where it is in Liger's career and, uh, you know, how long ago this match was compared to, you know, her seeing him at, uh, you know, Ted Reeve down the street. Right. And she's like, wow, you know, he's, he's so much younger at this point compared to when we've seen him. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, so is it something that you, you, you do though sometimes is like take, take them back to like 19, the 1990s and show them, this is Jason Liger when he was like, pretty much at his physical peak. Uh, it is, Viv is really interested in the, in the history of things and trying to kind of lay out of, you know, wrapping her head around, you know, Ric Flair wrestling for 40 years and, you know, what, what that kind of means and, and where people are is like a timeline of things. Right. And, and how it all kinds of crosses over, but you know, she's 10 too. Right. So there's a, there's a lot to kind of like uh, devour. Well, you just, you know, you just play, Thunderstruck on the the car radio when uh, you know we you have know, listened when you're going down to the hockey games, right? That's true. We have we have listened to a few episodes uh, on the way to the rinks. And then she turned to you and said, few. "Daddy, he's swearing again." Yeah, it's more like I can't believe WH. She just counts how many times you swear during an episode now. I should just like set up a a, a digital uh, swear jar for her. She'd probably like be able to pay for college by that point, you know. A little, a little quarter every time you do it or something like yeah. that, yeah. Every time I say the word fuck, I, it's a quarter for uh, – a Canadian quarter for uh, one Viv Murray for her, her future university fund. It's been kind of amazing looking at uh, 
you know, the, the people you've chosen and the matches that they've chosen, because it's been, it's tough when you like, you think of something and somebody like, Oh, someone else is already doing that Ray match or someone else is already doing uh, this match. Right. And you, you got to put your thinking cap on and, and decide which, which match you want to talk about. But as a fan, I mean, Liger's been around for so long that there's a good chance he's wrestled somebody's favorite wrestler at some point in the last 25 years. It's likely he probably had a pretty decent match with them. So, you know, so it, yeah, there is like, that I remember, I remember him wrestling Samoa Joe on a, a TNA pay-per-view years ago. I remember seeing him versus Dalton Castle, right? And, you know, Cody in the last few years, uh, Ray, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson. There's so many, you know, good matches, great matches, both in Japan and in North America. Uh, I mean, worldwide, he's just been this legend. And it's like, it was a very easy thing for me to pick him as the topic of, you know, like, my next series after Krill Summer, because one, because he's such a legendary figure in wrestling, and two, obviously because he's going to be retiring in in a couple of months from, like in about a month from now, actually, as of this recording. So you know, it's going to be interesting to see what wrestling is like without Liger in in the ring in any capacity. So I, I feel a little you know sad about it, but I'm excited to be able to see him on January fourth, January fifth, and. At his retirement ceremony on January 6th. So John and Wei and myself, we, we were able to secure tickets for that. So we're we're going to be at that show, Mike. Getting the, uh, the, That's amazing. The, the retirement of, of Jushin Liger. And, and hopefully John doesn't bring up any cuck angles talk during during that that uh, that ceremony. Oh, and why did you have to do that? <laughs> no, they talked about it. Like John's like saying, threatened he's going to bring it up to Wei in the middle of it during like review of Raw or something <laughs> like that. And I was just like, no, don't do that. I'm I'm sitting next to Way. I'm not going to sit next to John during that show. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so you wanted to bring up something about UWA, like Liger appeared in the UWA. You, explain what UWA is, by the way. It's not the Mexican promotion. Uh, no. So what what year are we talking about here? Two thousand and four ish. Would that be right? Sure, I guess so. This is when they're in St. John's Hall, not in that barn you took me to one time out in Bolton or something. Yeah. I was thinking I was thinking about St. John's Hall the the other day before I was getting ready to do this podcast and uh we would go see UWA which was run by two brothers and one was uh one was a wrestler and one was an announcer and it was a bi-monthly would that be right every other month they were doing shows something like that yeah outside of um, Mississauga right yes i think i think between, between like Mississauga and like Etobicoke is where like the, the St. John Hall was yeah, and, and guys like uh, Matt Cross used to work wrestle for them when he was, you know, 15 years younger, and we were 15 years younger, or whatever it was. And, you know, we would see guys like a young Okada, right, at, what, 20 years old or so? Yeah, I remember it with teaming with Ultimo against, uh, he teamed against, what was it, it was Liger and TJ Perkins as, uh, as a f- f- fucking Puba Kid or something, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And then, I mean, they used the machine guns as well. Right. Yeah. The machine gun. Yeah, for sure. They used to bring Liger or not, sorry, Liger. uh, They used to bring Ultimate Dragon in fairly regularly for these shows. And he would kind of bring other guys with him. And we would see, you know, Ultimate Dragon versus Jushin Thunder Liger with like, what, maybe a hundred people. 
Yeah, something like that. It wasn't a. It wasn't necessarily a big venue. It was a good venue to watch wrestling, though. I felt it was a good venue to watch wrestling. You're right. Not when there's a. Not I, when there's like a ladder match where that goes on for like almost a fucking hour though, at ten o'clock at night. <laughs> not that's not so much fun. I'll tell you that. You're so. Jaded. What? <laughs> You're so jaded. You, were you there for that match? It was like a tag team ladder match. It was like, uh, who is it? Was Chris Bishop in it? Yes, Christopher Bishop was. I think it was like Lionel Knight. I think it was like, yep. of course, Osiris. He's the owner, one of the owners. And yeah. and I forget who, I think maybe Josh Prohibition was the other person in that match. And it was for the tag, it was a tag match. I don't know if it was for the tag team titles. It might have been, but there's a point. I think it was Bishop. Apparently he's still wrestling. I just saw his name pop up in some American indie, which I'm like, oh, good. I, I hope he's like not as not as dumb anymore in the ring nice guy though anyways he's he's about to go for something i think it's the tag titles but he doesn't go for them he says no i'm gonna do this move and i remember i think i don't know if i was with you or not maybe mouth was there and i just remember whoever i was with i just looked at them might have been our friend rob conway just looking and like this fucking match sucks this is stupid go for like this match is they've already like it's also a hardcore match so they're hitting each other themselves with like fucking plunder like chairs and tables and like a card like door from a fucking car or something was in this match i think do you remember this <laughs> yes I, now i remember the door yes <laughs> such a stupid match i was just like this is every this guy it's like these these four guys just said you know that stupid czw match we saw where these guys nearly killed themselves and had no psychology yeah Let's copy that. Okay. And then we had to suffer for that. At least I had to suffer. I I got to say, to be honest, to be fair, most of the fans in that audience were v- well into it. I was not, though. You're right. I mean, there is the, the fan base that they ran for a few years and it was passionate. You, you can't say it was a lazy show, right? I mean, those those guys all, you know, put their butts on the line. Well, I kept going back. So like they, they were doing oh. something right on those shows. So. Exactly, right? And it was one of those shows where there was usually something for everyone. There was also some some winner fans in that in that audience. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention names, but you know, there's like some people that I don't know what happened to them in the wrestling in the wrestling fandom scene because they didn't show up at O'Grady's in August when we when we had our return there. But you know, there, there's some people going to these shows. I'm like, yeah, um, uh, you, no, I don't want to. Do I want to hang out with you? No, I do not actually. So, ouch! Somehow I made the cut. You made the cut. You, you, and you and Mouth, Rob Conway, uh, people, and other people. You know. Remember, remember when John used to time keep those matches? Oh my god! And Jason Agnew <laughs> was the ring announcer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe, maybe John's going to be listening and thinking, man. My stopwatch from that show like just died recently. <laughs> he does it on his iPhone now. No, I heard he just got a new one. He just got a new stopwatch. I think someone gifted it to him, sent it to him in the nice. or something like that. So like John, John nice. will have that, I'm sure, like uh, on hand and ready when he's in uh, Tokyo for the multitude of shows that he, Wei, and, and, and a bunch of other people are going to be seeing together during the uh, awesome. first couple of weeks of, of January. But uh, yeah, any final thoughts from you, Mike? Uh, I'm jealous of you guys having a nice week of wrestling and a fantastic trip. Uh, send pictures, have fun. Well, maybe maybe next year, maybe 2021 can can be the uh, maybe 2021, maybe maybe the G1. Maybe I so. I 
I, I think I, I've been hearing like rumors that maybe the G1 is going to just shift into the fall. So if you, if you want to come, I'll still be here. You know, like I, I can tour, I can be the tour guide for you, for you and the family. I gotta do, I gotta do it one time before you split, right? So, and, and I, I, and I have not been to Disney World in Tokyo yet. So I will, I will more like, I will be more than happy to go to Disney World with you guys. At Disney Sea, I've done. You'd have to do that on your own. I don't think I want to go back to Disney Sea again. Just don't need to. But you know, I, I'm more than up for going to Disney World if if you guys are so cool. inclined. So I know you are a big Disney fan. So Disney World amusement park fan. Are you not? Yep. So the family does like their theme parks. Yes. You can do that. You can go to Fuji Q Highlands, which is like about two hours away from Tokyo, and then you can go to Universal Studios Japan in Osaka as well. You can make a whole huge trip about it, Mike. So maybe maybe we'll talk it's... more off the air about future vacation plans. But future vacation plans. <laughs> that's right. But at this time, I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in to this show, this episode. I want to thank you, Mike. Thanks so much for doing this show with me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Maybe I'll be a guest Thanks. on your future MLW review show in, in, in 2021. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but uh, any plugs, Mike, for the listeners out there? Uh, I want everyone to uh, have a great holiday season as we're approaching it this will probably uh, air this will probably air way after the the holiday season has ended though but well then i hope everyone did have a good holiday season and they're having a happy new year and enjoying themselves uh, that's so kind of you i i i share the sentiment even if i didn't express it like as well as you did there mike um but uh thanks to all the listeners again and uh stay tuned this is we still got several more episodes left of this series and until the next episode i want to say to everyone goodbye <laughs>